Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy, my co-host, with me, per huge. How you doing, Darcy? Hey, what's up? I'm good. I'm finally not sick anymore, which feels amazing. Woo-woo. Yeah, right? Um, but, but other than that, it's just hot as a mofo here in Alabama, so not loving that. A little bit warm. I think we're yeah. all feeling the heat a little bit. And humidity. And we're, we have that tropical storm come in next, this, this weekend, next week, something like yeah. that. It's about to hit Florida. So, yay. We had, some, we had some pretty intense storms here this last yeah. week. Um, thunder and lightning and tornado warnings and all kinds mm. of other stuff. It was pretty crazy. We had a lot of big, huge branches come down mm. out in the yard. The si- tornado siren was on quite a bit this last week. And it was nine. You didn't get any damage to your house, did you? No. No, not oh, to the God. house itself, but to the trees surrounding it, which, yeah. you know, blessed, lucky, yeah. no damage. Um, but honestly, it was it was pretty crazy. It was very, very windy, um, 93 degrees, but like just pouring Whoa. down rain. Yeah. We had to go and get a humidifier for the basement because we just have had so much water. It's like seeping up through the walls and going into like the normal walls. Like we have a limestone foundation and normally uh-huh. it just stays, it doesn't get wet enough to where it goes above. It just stays in that foundation. But uh-huh. we've had so much rain this year that it's now like seeping up into like the plaster part of the walls. Oh no. Which is not good. Cause then you get yeah. mildew and all kinds of other bad things. So. Ugh. We had to go get a humidifier. We were, we're doing some repairs to the out, outer part of the house just to clean that up and try to get less moisture, but it's pretty crazy. Yikes. And then we got, we had like this really bad fly infestation and I was like, Ew, is there nope. like a dead animal in our house or something like yeah. that? <laughs> so it was super freaky. So we went to the store and got a bunch of those um, fly traps. traps. They're not yeah. like the sticky tape. They're like these containers. Oh, yeah. And you put this liquid in it, and it, all the flies go inside, and then they can't get back out. Yeah, yeah. So we got like I've used those before. They work pretty well. They do. We got like three or four of them, but um, they smell like death. I don't know yeah. if you know that. <laughs> yeah, Fl- flies when when they're in that container. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So we kept smelling this just horrific dead animal, just disgusting smell yeah. every time we walked down the stairs. And we were like, what is going on? We had no clue that it was those that smelled and that were yeah. sticking up the entire kitchen because it was just in the kitchen, nowhere else mm. in the house. So we're looking around, we're searching because we just gutted the kitchen because we've got the cabinets coming next week and like the remodel is going on. And so we were like, is something dead in the walls? Oh my and God. I walk over and I just get a whiff of one of those containers and it's yeah. like filled with flies and just yeah. smells so bad. I think I'm going to puke. And yeah, I'm like, they smell really bad. Oh my God, it's these, it's these three containers we have in the kitchen. <clears throat> yeah. So we put them outside. Um, two of them uh, in the garbage area just to draw more flies in and one of them on the back porch. And guess what? Mr. Foxy Fox came and grabbed the container and started running off with it. And I look out the window and I see it. It has the container. It's in the side yard. It dropped it and ran in the other direction, but I never imagined the foxes would come onto the porch and take, try to take them. Oh my them. gosh. Well, they, yeah, they probably were drawn to the smell. Yeah. Oh yeah. They probably thought it was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, know how dogs are. They like everything uh-huh. that smells dead. But they, it was super cute because it's like still an adolescent fox. So it's, it's yeah. littler oh. and like the container was like bigger than its head. And it was just <laughs> like trying to run off with this container full of dead flies. It was Ew. hilarious. But anyway, um, I saw an article today about a case that, I don't know if we talked about this or not, but you remember the runaway bride? 
no. Jennifer like Wilbanks. She was a real person. Oh. Okay, let me just read you this article. You'll remember this once I tell you about it, but it was an update article, and it's the runaway bride Jennifer Wilbanks got married and now is divorced. So if you see pictures of her, you totally recognize who she is, but she was supposed to have this big, huge, lavish wedding with 28 members of the bridal party and more than 600 guests, and just days before the 2005 wedding, she vanished without a trace. And there was a nationwide manhunt, and her family made rounds on the morning news oh. and cable networks pleading for her return, saying she wasn't the type of person who was going to run off. Yes. And then she was found three days later in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She claimed to had been kidnapped and sexually assaulted by a Latino man and a Caucasian woman while she was out for a run. She later then recanted that whole story and admitted she'd fled Georgia on a bus because she was freaked out. Yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah. And she and her fiancé, Jason, or John Mason, broke up. But Yeah, that's that's a, sort of a thing that happens when you run they, away from the yeah, wedding. They dubbed her the runaway bride, which, you yeah. know, the, not very creative, but, you know, it is what it is. She yeah. was criminally charged, though, for lying to the police, and she eventually pled guilty to felony counts of making a false statement and received got two years of probation. Uh, she also got 120 hours of community service and ongoing mental health counseling, which is good because clearly she needs it, um, and that's good that she's getting help. Um, a judge also ordered her to pay for the sheriff's office $2,550 to cover some of the costs for searching for her. She also had to pay $13,000 to the city of Duluth to help pay for the overtime costs they incurred while searching for her. Now, 16 years later, she's quietly living in Gainesville, Georgia, working as a human resources director at a telecommunications staffing agency where she's worked since 2015. She fell in love again in 2010, evidently, which, whoop, mm. freaky. This time with Greg Hudson, who owned a landscaping company, they got married and they quietly got divorced in April. According to online court records, Greg Hudson filed for divorce in March in an uncontested dissolution of their marriage. The divorce was finalized 30 days later and their assets were divided Interesting. Hmm. So Duluth is a very, very, very ritzy, well-to-do suburb of Atlanta. And that's where she lives now? No, that's where she was getting married, oh. which explains the 28 members of the bridal party and the 600 invitation wedding. She was that's doing expensive. it up bougie. Yeah. And, now she, and Gainesville, Georgia is down near the border. It's near Gainesville, Florida. Like, it's kind of, it's down near the border of Florida. And it is very different from Duluth, Georgia. So that is interesting. Did you, rem do you remember this case when it came out? I did, yeah. Once you started reading about it, I do remember that. I remember it too. And I remember how concerned people were. And then yeah. when they found out that she was lying about the whole thing, it was crazy. But then mm -hmm. it's interesting. This case is interesting now because you followed up with a couple of different cases since then that have come that have been similarly construed by the media. Mm -hmm. um, well, not similarly construed, but there has been a lot of skepticism whether it actually happened or not. I believe one of them is that Sherry Papin. Is it Pepin? Yeah. Pepin? Sherry Pepin? Pepin, I think. Pepin. Hang on. Let me just look real quick. She was the one who was supposedly kidnapped around Thanksgiving a couple years back when she was out for a run, and they dropped her off on the side of the road, and she was found very disheveled. This is out yeah. in California. Sherry Papini. <clears throat> Papini, yeah. And this was 2016. It, yeah, and she was found on the side of the road really disheveled. Um, her hair had been cut, I think, something like that. Like and She claimed she'd been tortured and all that kind of good stuff. Right. But they um, haven't, I haven't heard an update about that one in a while. No, I don't think they've ever caught anybody. And I think there's a lot of doubt 
as to whether it actually happened or not. And then you had that case of the couple that was kidnapped and the police automatically just assumed they were lying and that um, it was they were in the Bay Area, uh, Valencia or where were they? Uh, Vallejo, 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 the Bay Area. Um, they were kidnapped by this guy who was actually a Harvard educated lawyer who lost his license to practice. We'll have to cover the case on the show at some point. Yeah, I don't But he kidnapped them this. and took the the woman left the man in the apartment and told him he was being monitored and that he was going to get instructions from his cell phone. They dr he drugged him. He played recordings for them. And then he took the girl and raped her and recorded it to try to use Jesus as evidence Christ. and told her that she, he had to use that to keep her quiet. And it's just, it's a wild, oh wild case. And the police came out with statements that were like, these guys are not victims. They're lying. He, <sighs> you know, they're responsible for this. We're not going to spend any more time and effort on this couple. So it's interesting kind of but the it was real. evolution. It was a real case. Wow. And this guy was prosecuted because he tried to do the same thing to another couple and mm. they fought back and he dropped his phone in his efforts to escape mm. and they caught him. Well, and, and then there was also the Jennifer Dulos, what, what Fotis's attorney said that she yeah. did this gone girl thing. And obviously we know that that's not true. It's but, interesting, this yeah. evolution of the way the police views cases like this, which is why yeah. I was kind of poking at this one in particular, because it was interesting in how we felt about it back then it was like oh my god this woman has been kidnapped and she wasn't so then after that the right. perception of people that went through similar experiences was somewhat jaded because they were like oh maybe it's just like this case yeah it's like you got burnt once and it's like nope not gonna happen again nothing's no. real anymore yeah very interesting and when it's obviously not the case for yeah. some of those yeah well, I'm going to talk about a case that uh, I think we've talked about on the show a couple of times in just sort of briefly discussing um, updates for this case, but we never really talked about details of it. And I'm going to talk about Molly Tibbetts today. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. So Molly Cecilia Tibbetts was born in San Francisco, and she was raised on the outskirts of Oakland, California, in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. She had two brothers, Jake and Scott, and her parents, Rob and Laura, um, and Jake and Scott and Molly all led a pretty kind of idyllic existence in the Bay Area until about 2007 when Molly's parents divorced. And Molly's mother, Laura, decided that they needed a change and she moved the kids to Iowa, which is about as far apart from that sort that of is a a big environment yeah, as you can yeah. get. Molly was in the second grade when that happened. Oh, wow, okay. So still, I think, kind of young enough to fold herself into a new classroom and a new school mm -hmm. and make new friends and things like that. But she really liked, I think, Iowa. And it was a yeah. nice kind of a change for her because I guess the area where they were in wasn't quite as sort of rural and, and quote unquote safe. Do you and, know where in Iowa they were? Um, they were in a town called Brooklyn, Iowa. Okay. And it was very, very small town. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Brooklyn, Iowa gotcha. in just okay. a second. but. The kids um, seemed like they did pretty well there. It was the kind of community, it was very, very small. I think there's less than 1,500 people in this oh, town. Wow. So it's a small town kind of thing where you don't really lock your doors, you're yeah. safe, you walk down the street, everybody knows everybody else. Like you're, you know, you're out for a run and you're waving at all the cars yeah. passing by because you know everybody and everybody yeah. knows everybody else. So that's what kind of town Brooklyn is. And that's where they settled in. Um, Molly had been part of her school's cross-country team 
and she was never the fastest or even close to being the fastest, it seems, but it was more important for her to meet new people and to encourage others. Mm -hmm. So, like, she was just one of those kind of really super positive people that would, like, Mm -hmm. finish her race, and no matter where she was in the race, she would stop and cheer on everybody else in the race as they were finishing to try to, like, just, you know, really inspire them and get them fired up about... Because cross-country is a really tough sport. I don't know if you ever experienced it, but, like, that the long-distance running, and, like, it's exhausting. And when you're at that end of, like, a 10-mile run and you just like can barely lift one foot and put it in front of the other and you have somebody just come alongside of you like she did and just be like you can do this come on come on it just really helps you to get those last couple feet in before you cross the finish line. I've never done any kind of track like anything um I just I was not built for distance I just wasn't so cross country would not have been my thing yeah, well, I never ran for the cross-country team, but I have done a lot of long-distance running. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 to 12 miles was, like, the sweet spot. And it was, like, yeah. I loved it because you can eat whatever you want when you run 10 miles. <laughs> like, That's you can true. Eat, you can eat like, a large 10 pizza. 10 miles would be, like, yeah. the max I'd ever want to run. Like, I just don't have – I'm just not built for that. Like, a long run for me, back when I could run before my knee was all messed up, was like five miles like I'd be like yeah. I'm gonna go do a long run and it was like five miles and that was it like I, I'm just not not a, not a distance person no and I think it takes a while to build up the endurance to do mm-hmm. a run like that um, and you really have to train yourself to be able to be ready for it first of all mm-hmm. second of all you have to eat properly because if you don't you're never gonna finish you're yeah. just gonna peter out part way through and third of all, like you, like you said, you have to be built for it. Some people yeah. just aren't built for long distance running. And I think mm-hmm. the human body in general isn't really built for running. So some people are, some people have just the kind of frame. Like I have this friend, Jennifer, who um, I knew from California as well. She, that girl, she does like marathon running, like on yeah. a regular basis. She's done the Boston marathon and she finishes Whoa. like really good time in her race class. I don't know that she's won any marathons, but she is an incredible runner that just, she's got the frame for it. She's just real long and lanky and just can run like it's nothing. And it's, it's awesome. Like I'm so jealous of her because that, that runner's high is amazing. Like it's definitely a a really nice thing. A little, just a kind of tangent on the science of it. Like I am almost completely fast twitch muscle. Like I do that before I did the 23 and me test, but it came back and said it was basically like a fast twitch, um, like power. Yeah, muscle and yeah and like basically what that means is like my muscle fibers rot like my muscles run out of energy a lot faster so like I can produce a lot of energy quickly but then they run out of energy faster whereas the slow twitch muscle uses oxygen better it's more efficient and it 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 it's able to and it's it's the endurance type of muscle fiber and I just don't have very much of that like everybody has some fast twitch and some slow twitch I just am majority fast twitch so it's not in our imagination like there really are people that are built for running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, as a science mind, it's not yeah, just, yeah. we're not making this up because we're lazy. Trust me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, in any case. I just don't do it because I'm lazy, but. Yeah. Molly was a I, long distance runner. And yeah. She really enjoyed that. That was part of her makeup. That was part of the things that she did in her spare time. And she was a psychology major in college and she wanted to help people in life. No surprise. She Mm -hmm. seems like the kind of encouraging person that would want to do that. And everyone that knew her was convinced she was going to make something amazing happen and change people's lives, Mm -hmm. which, you know, encouraging, positive person wants to be a psychology major. Like, you know, she, nothing can stop her. 
despite being kind of far away from her dad, Molly was close with her father and she tried, he kind of, I think, tried hard to keep their relationship close and mm -hmm. with his kids as well. And Molly referred to him as her best friend and was even the best man at his wedding in 2018, early 2018. Oh, so it was really kind of a sweet nice. relationship that they had. Yeah. She also had a boyfriend named Dalton Jack, who she met in 2015 after a football game. He was a football player. And the two started dating shortly after they met in 2015 and by all accounts had a pretty decent relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so we're gonna jump now into current, present, well, it's 2018, and we're in Iowa. Mm -hmm. There's about 90% of the land in this particular area is exclusively used for farming. Corn and soy are the most popular crops in that area, and livestock, grain prices, weather, and agricultural updates are the norm here on radio stations and advertising, mm -hmm. and you, know, like you got your seed and feeds and cattle and cornfields everywhere. Yeah. Now, this particular city is 70 miles east of the city of Des Moines, and it's a farm town called Brooklyn. And it's in the city, or the city itself is in Powsheet County, I hope I said that right, and has a population of less than 1,500. So it's a really small town, wow. yeah. right? And it's just off the U.S. Route 6 and a little north of the I-80. It's also referred to as the Community of Flags since it has oh. a large display of flags from both the 50 states, the military, and a bunch of other kind of little things. Oh. It's got okay. this huge flag display, and it's kind of cool. Um, there's also four churches and lots of seed and feed stores and more farms than you can count, basically. Yeah. So it's small-town Americana, like at its finest. Mm -hmm. It's Wednesday, July 2018. It's sunny and hot. Anyone who sp has spent any time whatsoever in the Midwest in the summer months can compare completely see this it was in the mid 80s with really high humidity that day so it felt pretty warm mm -hmm. molly tibbetts was not quite 21 yet uh, she was house sitting for her boyfriend dalton who lived on the western edge of town and she was there primarily to take care of the dogs um, one of them had epilepsy and it required a little bit of extra care Mm -hmm. And so she had told him, yeah, I'll take care of the pups while you're gone. He worked in construction and, and traveled regularly for that. And he was gone on that particular occasion, but he was about 120 miles away. Okay. And, and she's a college student at is it University of Iowa? Yes. Okay. She planned to go back to the University of Iowa for her sophomore year in the fall. So she's kind of gearing up for that. It's July. Mm -hmm. She's enjoying her summer. She's had her first year. She's gotten it out of the way. She got past that freshman 15 and mm -hmm. is like, I can do this, right? She probably didn't even gain the freshman 15 with how much no. she ran. She's a runner. So like, but yeah. if you can get past it and either not gain it or lose it the next yeah. year, like kudos. Yeah. I don't think I gained the freshman 15 either. I think I actually lost 15 pounds when I went to college <laughs> after not eating my mom's cooking anymore. My mom was like total meat and potatoes and we always <laughs> overate and there's dessert every night. And when I went to college, it's like no more home cooking. I have to eat this. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't start getting, I mean, I, I stayed pretty slim until maybe it was like 27 and that's about the time. They started getting a lot harder to to eat like junk and yeah. and, and not gain weight. Yeah, I feel ya. Um, so Molly is house sitting for Dalton and it's super hot and she's waiting because she wants to take a run. And you know how it is outside. It doesn't start cooling down in the mm -hmm. south and the Midwest until like at least seven o'clock, right? Mm -hmm. So she waits till around 7.30 to take this run, knowing that it's gonna be a lot cooler then. And it's about an hour before the sun goes down 
And this is one of my favorite times to run too. I like it when like you're finishing your run as the sun is setting. Mm. It's I don't. time. I don't like running at that time because I feel like it's really hard to see when you're driving at that time too. Because it's like right as the sun is setting. So I just. Well, it depends just on where like. you're running. Because like True. I, my old neighborhood back in Escondido was like yeah. in one of those gated communities. So like oh, it was all yeah, sidewalks. Yeah. And so like you didn't really, there was no danger. And oh, okay. The yeah, speed limit nice. was like 10 miles per hour. So it wasn't a safety issue there. And I used to love it because I'd run to the top of this ridge and watch the sun go down over the horizon. Oh. And it was super pretty. Loved yeah. it. But um, this place where she decided to go running doesn't seem like it was really all that safe. It was a paved road, and it was one of the only paved roads in the area. Most of the other roads were like gravel, which is kind of what it's like. She's dressed in the typical running gear. She's got a pair of shorts, a sports bra, earbuds, and a runner's armband with you know, yeah. typical running shoes. And she sets out for this run, and she's going her normal route east through town. And she typically used a Fitbit to track her progress Mm -hmm. um, through a GPS kind of a system. And she decided to go on a six mile route that day through town and her route passed through rural neighborhoods that moved through an area that wasn't far from where John Wayne grew up. Oh. Yeah, so pretty cool, little tidbit there. Yeah. And as I mentioned, she's running along this paved road, which no shoulder, so a mm -hmm. little bit scary, not necessarily the safest place to run. And cars would have to kind of go swerve around her to get, you know, into mm -hmm. the other lane to get around her. And sometimes there wasn't even markings for the center line yeah. on this road because um, it's just plain like asphalt. And as she's running, a black Chevy Malibu passes her moving east. And Molly makes her way out of town surrounded by cornfields on either side of her. She's running on this blacktop. And that's what the locals call it as well because most mm -hmm. of the other roads were gravel. And like I said, it's not necessarily the safest place to run because there's no shoulder, but I don't think there was too many cars that were passing out this far in the country considering the low population, etc. Right. So right. maybe it wasn't too bad. And it's probably not that unusual to see her running too. No. And one of her acquaintances, the woman that cut her hair a few times, her name was Christina Stewart, passed her around 8 p.m. and waved. Yeah. And as she's reaching her halfway point, a car pulls up alongside of her and a man gets out and jogs beside her. Um. It's the same black Malibu from earlier and evidently Molly tried to be nice, um, but the guy was getting creepy and wouldn't leave her alone. So she pulls her phone out of her running sleeve mm -hmm. and threatens to call the police. Okay, as any of us would, right? Mm -hmm. The police call threat did not deter this man and he grabs her. As she's screaming for help, he stuffs her in the car, and she disappears that day. So, as was customary, police immediately begin looking at Molly's boyfriend. And mm -hmm. do you remember when this case come out? Yeah. And, like, we were all, like, the boyfriend did it. Totally I the remember, boyfriend did it. So, I don't remember really thinking the boyfriend did it. I remember reading pretty early on that he was out of town. But the thing I remember was the Fitbit. Yeah. Was when they got the Fitbit data. So Dalton, her boyfriend, was 120 miles away, as I mentioned earlier. In, he was in Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. And as I mentioned earlier as well, he was a construction worker that often travels for work. He was working on a bridge project on the Mississippi River. And he texted Molly around 530 that morning on July 18th and kind of was like, good morning, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then he went to work. But rain delayed the construction and Dalton went back to his hotel around noon to get some much needed rest. 
he'd been doing 12-hour shifts, so yeah. he was probably pretty tired. He'd done them a few days in a row. Um, that is exhausting. I don't know how people yeah. do that. <laughs> I, just, I, don't I just can't even imagine. But on the same day, there were multiple supercell thunderstorms moving through Iowa and surrounding areas, including Brooklyn, Iowa. Tornadoes also touched down, reaching um, nearly to the area that Molly was in as well. So this is all on the same day, which, mm-hmm. again, last week we had that. So, like, Midwestern summer storms are no joke. And they can yeah. be extremely destructive, and they can strike at random spots and random times, and it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But Molly doesn't show up for work the next day. And her coworker, she works at a daycare. Her coworker notices that Molly didn't show up for work on July 19th and she didn't call in either, which is super unlike her. She's extremely responsible and this girl knew Molly and her boyfriend, so she calls Molly's boyfriend. And she's like, hey, do you know, excuse me, she's like, hey, do you know where Molly is? Because she, this is really super unlike her. Yeah. And he's like, I have no idea. Like, she didn't tell me anything. And he starts calling her friends and family. And he immediately leaves work and goes back to Brooklyn to look for his girlfriend, which, you know, as any caring, loving person in Mm -hmm. a relationship with somebody else would do. Um, Word of Molly's disappearance spread fast as friends and family gathered to look for her and file police reports. So Dalton and his brother spend the night driving around looking for Molly initially. And they were worried she'd been hurt by one of the storms or tornadoes mm-hmm. or something similar that had struck that area the previous day. During the next few days, volunteers searched high and low along, the, uh, along with the Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigations. They quickly got involved in this as well. Leads came in and were chased down as quickly as possible. July 25th, police issued a statement that Dalton Jack, Molly's boyfriend, was not a suspect. I do remember this and thinking mm-hmm. that he did it. <laughs> and oh, really? I think a lot of other people thought that he did it as well, and they were harassing him, and just really, yeah. he was getting a lot of grief. And I think that it was a really concerted effort by the police to help relieve that stress on him by announcing mm-hmm. that he wasn't a suspect. Yeah. Which, you know, kudos to them for actually being courteous enough to do that once they discovered that he wasn't the suspect, because on many occasions they haven't done that, and the person has right. been just harassed terribly. Yeah. But August comes and Molly is still gone without a trace. And it's crazy because there are over 200 leads and every single one of them has been followed up without Molly being found. A reward is offered for tips leading to finding her and solving this case. And authorities keep all information close to the vest because they want to get the perpetrator into custody first without mm-hmm. scaring anyone away, which not unusual. Donations began pouring in as it's on the news and on social media, and the reward jumps to nearly half a million dollars. This is the largest reward on Central Iowa Crime Stoppers history. Um, the 36 plus years that they've been around, they never had a, a reward for a single case like this mm. that high. Wow. Media ensures that Molly's story stays in the news, and social media also plays its part. Authorities canvassed the community where Molly was running when she disappeared, and they start looking for camera footage. They're trying to find any camera footage that they can, and they find some near where her Fitbit says she was. Because initially, they 
were able to load her usual routes with her Fitbit to try mm -hmm. to narrow down. They didn't have the current data because I guess it gets loaded to a cloud and there's a whole different thing, but they had her normal data. So they knew where she usually liked to run and they used that with the sightings and the camera footage to kind of find a proposed route that she was on that day. Okay. And the footage from a local camera in Brooklyn and Fitbit data show where Molly was when she was abducted. The camera footage from July 18th shows Molly passing through and it narrows down the time and place that she was on that date. And this is the first solid lead they have for the case. And with that, they begin logging vehicles and pedestrians around the time and day and place. So they're wow. taking that camera footage and just moving in reverse and narrowing down everybody that's on that camera footage. That's including super labor-intensive. Yeah. I mean, frame by frame by frame. Yeah. With multiple people reviewing the footage, a spreadsheet was created, and it indicated that there was a black Chevy Malibu on the frame in the same area around the same time that Molly was there, and they knew they needed to talk to that person. Okay. Police then used details of the car to find it in the local community. It was relatively distinctive with chrome door handles and mirror covers. The model was approximately 2008 to 2012, so it's kind of um, not super new, but still new enough. Yeah. And the police were driving around when they spotted the black Chevy Malibu, one just like the one in the film. So they're okay. just randomly driving around looking for this Malibu when they find it. The one question, though, they run the plates and they follow the car, but it was, but it was registered to a female in a nearby town, which kind of odd. Uh -huh. um, they then approach the vehicle and ask to talk to the driver, and the driver indicates that he doesn't speak English. So luckily, though, there was a nearby bystander um, that assisted with translation into Spanish, and he indicated that his name was Christian Bahia Rivera, okay. age 24. He'd heard about Molly, um, but claimed that he knew nothing about what happened to her or where she might possibly be. Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, did they have this case on Spanish language television? Was he being deceptive about how much English he knew? Oh, uh, yeah. Interesting. So yeah. that's a thing there. Um, Rivera was born in a small town in Mexico near Acapulco, and the town was very rural and very poor, um, mostly farmers. Rivera and his two sisters, father and mother, lived in a one-room house with dirt and cement kind of construction, they were very poor, and for this reason, Christian left the home at the age of 17 to join family members in the U.S. and hopefully, okay. you know, make a better life and send his parents some money so they can fix the house up, etc. Yeah. So he reportedly paid a, a coyote at the Texas border to help him cross over into the U.S. And a coyote is basically a guide that pay that you pay to help you illegally enter the country. Best case scenario, that's what happens. Yes. Most of the time, they take advantage of you. Yes. In horrible, many, horrible ways. many times they take advantage of these people. Yeah. Some of them end up dead. Some of them end yeah. up very badly injured. Some of them end up captured. Some of the coyotes lead them right into the authorities' hands, and then they go yeah. back and they keep the money, and it can be a, a nightmare. But Christian entered the country illegally, obviously, if he paid mm -hmm. a coyote to do that on an inflatable raft across the Rio Grande River. And then he traveled to central Iowa, where he already had family members. Okay. He began working at a dairy farm, and he was sending money back home out of each paycheck. 
So at the time that this crime happened, Christian was 24 years old and working on a, as a farmhand just outside of Brooklyn. He, okay. he worked 12-hour shift seven days a week. Yeah. Which, holy crap, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. again, with the 12-hour shifts. And his is mm-hmm. not, he doesn't even get a day and off. Like physical labor and yeah. It's yeah. very, that, very and that's shocking. that's also another really common thing with undocumented workers is you can exploit them like that yeah but with him he was paid twelve dollars and sixty cents an hour so oh, that seems relatively like a decent wage uh, for an undocumented worker yeah but the hours are still yeah just insane but yeah he also shared parenting with a three-year-old daughter with his ex i don't i'm not sure if he was married to her or if they were just together but he had a three-year-old daughter Okay. So when he wasn't working those extremely long hours, he was with his daughter, um, and by all accounts, he was a great dad. He, the mom of his daughter never saw him angry or violent or anything like that. So for seven years, Christian had avoided law enforcement, and he had no criminal history. He even, not even a speeding ticket, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is seven years, nothing. And he gets pulled over on that August 16th date, and... He, this is his first interaction with the police, mm-hmm. so he is probably crapping his pants right about then, yeah. thinking he's immediately going to get deported. Like, I can't imagine. He must have had an extreme level of anxiety and fear, oh, which yeah. I can totally understand. Uh, well, no, maybe I can't understand because I've never been in that situation, but he must have been very scared. Yeah. In any case, um, he continued to insist when the police questioned him that he'd never seen Molly and that he'd only ever heard of her on the news. Okay. Okay. August 20th, police circle back and interview him again. During this 11-hour interview, Rivera insists he knows nothing about Molly, but then they show him photos from the surveillance camera. And it's pretty powerful. And this is causes him to admit that he was in the same location as her. He describes her and said he'd seen her running three times that night, that evening. Uh-oh. He claims he was heading to an uncle's house to pick up a vacuum cleaner and that it was just too hot to vacuum, so he was heading back. He said that he'd seen her on the road running, and he described her as attractive and, quote, hot. He also indicated what she'd been wearing. So he was studying her a little bit closer than just a casual person driving by. And slowly he begins to reveal more and more information. He claims he'd seen her running and stopped his car and ran behind her at one point. She threatened to call the police, and he got angry, and they began... Um, an argument at that point. There was an altercation. Molly tried to slap him and screamed. He then said he blacked out. Hmm. The next thing he remembers is waking up, driving away, and seeing Molly's earbuds in his lap. Hmm. He says he then remembered he had Molly in his trunk. He remembered that after yeah. blacking out. So, okay. yeah, yeah. August 21st, 4.30 a.m., police take Christian to a nearby location, South east of Brooklyn. It's about 15 miles from the small town near some cornfields, and Christian tells the police he's hidden Molly's body in the cornfield. That's where he hid her on July 18th. He indicated that he'd seen blood and that he'd carried her to the field and covered her with corn stalks and immediately left. Her clothing was beside her. Oh my so God. clearly at some point he'd removed her yeah. clothing. I believe she'd been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. It didn't say that in any of the articles per se, but it's you hear references to mm-hmm. it at multiple points. 
34 days after she disappeared, Molly's body was found exactly where Rivera claimed she would be, and her clothing was nearby. God. Just horrific, right? Yeah. I read somewhere that he said that he covered her with corn stalks because he didn't want her to get burned by the sun. It's just like, really? Yeah. Really? Um, police immediately filed first-degree murder charges against Christian, who claimed he'd blacked out and didn't remember killing her or hurting her or harming her in any way. The how convenient. had her in the trunk. Yeah, exactly. The autopsy shows at least nine stab wounds. Oh, my God. And this was the cause of Molly's death. She'd been stabbed in the front, the back, and in her skull. So, like, Ugh. just intense. Just awful. Um, the case immediately grabs news headlines, though, because Christian was an undocumented worker. And I think you remember mm -hmm. this as well. That was a big Trump push for changes in immigration yeah, law. Um, and he used this case as a reference. Yes, he did. Which her family, I don't think, was very happy with. Because they're no, like, they you weren't. know, this is a victim of a violent crime. We should not be using this as some sort of a token for immigration laws. We need to... Yeah, there's no reason to politicize... Let us the, grieve the of their daughter. our daughter's yeah. death without pulling all that into it. But in yeah. any case, Christian's trial was delayed multiple times, the latest due to COVID. You probably remember mm -hmm. that. But May 17th, 2021, the trial starts in Davenport, Iowa. Christian never confessed to killing her. And the murder, and the murder weapon has never been found. Even so... The case looks strong against Rivera because of his other confessions of taking her and leaving her body mm -hmm. in the cornfield. There's blood from Molly in his trunk and in his car. Like, come on. The defense team tries to raise doubts and bring in other suspects, especially Dalton Jack, Molly's mm -hmm. boyfriend at the time of her death. I guess he was evasive and somewhat shady on the stand. Um, conversations, including texts between him and Molly, showed arguments between the two and they painted the relationship as somewhat rocky. Dalton had also cheated and been caught red-handed about a month before Molly disappeared. Mm. He'd been talking with an underage girl and having some sort of a relationship with her, which horrific. So he's not exactly is, on the up and up either. No, this, but this case isn't about Dalton. No. Like he has an alibi, yeah. like he's cleared. He's not a police suspect. There's no indication from police records or police that he has anything whatsoever to do this whatsoever to do with this case. Right. Um, and he'd continue to text this woman he cheated with. This girl? And Mo Yeah, this, this young girl. Um, but he did have this solid alibi. Yeah. He was 120 miles away the day of this whole thing happened. Scumbag, but not a murderer. Exactly. And then during the trial, Christian throws in a little bombshell there. And you remember hearing about this. We talked sure about do. this in an article on the show, but he claims that on the day of the murder, he showered. And when he got out of the shower, two men were waiting for him in his living room, masked. Okay. For COVID they then, or no. <laughs> like fully yeah. masked. Yeah. Not just for COVID because COVID wasn't around. Oh, right. Um, but then they forced him to drive them around town at gunpoint until they pull up next to Molly. He claimed they made him stop the car and they hopped out with a knife and one man ran after Molly. 10 minutes later, he had Christian grab Molly and put her into the trunk and drive to the remote location. They then told him to dump the body and never speak about it or tell anyone. That if he did, the two masked men would come back and kill his three-year-old daughter and her mother. 
So I have a question. Okay, so what's the question? He's already admitted to stopping his car at one point and running beside her. Yeah. So he's like, wait, so wait, that, that, was, that was just a lie. Okay, so I wasn't that didn't really happen? What actually okay. happened was... I was going to say, is he like yeah. trying to say that these two supposed masked men or made him run beside her? Maybe or? he did that, and then later the masked sure. men did that. Like, it's not really clear. Like, he's not being super clear about his story, and it just seems really... Yeah. N- not real. Anyway, Christian claims that the two men then simply walked away. As you do. Bye. Um, he claims he couldn't go to the police for fear of his family's safety and his status as an undocumented worker. Well, being discovered, that, I mean, that is know, believable. Like that, that's the one part of his story that is believable, that he would not want to go to police. Which, yeah, that part is believable. I'm just curious whether they did a rape kit on Molly, and if so, did they find Christian's DNA? Because if they did, there's no excuse for Right. I've any not of this. seen anything about DNA in this one. I didn't see it either. Yeah. Um, I heard that they did find her blood in his trunk, and that was one of the key pieces of evidence to convict with. But Right, but not, not his DNA anywhere. No. I've not seen anything about it. Not in the trunk. Yeah. But it's his car, and he had blood. No, no, no. I mean, like, his DNA on Molly or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but according to the defense, there was evidence of two different people, along with her DNA, in the trunk. Two unknown people. Okay. Which bolstered his defense mm-hmm. story that there were two people, two other unknown people involved in this. May 28th, closing arguments were presented, and the jury deliberates for about eight hours. That's a long deliberation. That is a long time. They reach a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. Sentencing was scheduled for July 17th, 2021, until July 15th, when two new witnesses come forward. Interesting. One of them was a jailhouse snitch, saying that he'd heard another man say he'd killed Molly and framed Christian. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about jailhouse snitches, because I don't feel like they're always the most reliable in their information. Well, historically, they're not. But I heard something, and I really... For the life of me, wish I could remember where I heard it. It was one of these true crime books I was reading or a documentary I was watching. I forget which one. But basically they said, like, they, like the legal team was trying to come up with, like, an explanation. Oh, I was reading about the uh, Wonderland murders. That's what it was. And uh, the, the legal team was trying to come up with, like, a reason for why all of the informants and the people, like, the witnesses and stuff are not, like people that are like upstanding citizens you know and basically they said when a crime takes place in hell you're not you don't have a lot of angels around so like i kind of feel like that's how it like it is with jailhouse informants too like you know what i mean like they're not obviously they're they're not the most credible witnesses but that doesn't mean they're lying either i just think you have to be really cautious yes in using that as a sole piece of evidence oh yeah yeah because I, think, I just, I don't know. I feel like this is If shaky. that's your sole piece of evidence, I think you're in trouble. Yeah. So, and the thing is, I would be curious as to whether the cameras saw anyone else in his car. Because the cameras clearly picked up his car. Like, are they seeing anyone but him? Right. Well, did they see him in the car in the first place? Because didn't you describe it as, like, with really dark windows and stuff? Yeah, but did anybody else but him see any evidence of these two people? The right. DNA in the trunk could have been anyone. Any, it could have been yeah, someone who repaired time. the car. It could have been a family member. It could have been anyone. Yeah. I, just, I just don't think that's a credible piece of information. Yeah. But in any case, the second witness said she'd been in the car with the other man who killed Molly. So it was a female that said she was on the scene. Okay. 
So now everything has been put on pause and a new hearing was um, scheduled to determine if Christian Rivera gets a new trial Yeah, because of this new evidence. So it's interesting. Um, on a side note, though, first off, the farm that employed Rivera initially claimed they had vetted his immigration status through E-Verify, a government website. Yeah, that's no Because no everybody's that's like, oh, are these guys legit? No, they weren't. It was revealed that they weren't even registered with that verification program, and then they claimed they'd used the Social Security Administration system and Christian had given them false information, which is entirely possible. That could be true. Yeah. So, um, like, there's that. I mean, that's just, like, that's so silly to lie about. Like, that's obviously a something that can be checked. Yeah. And, like... Well. They're not the there first was, people that run a farm to use undocumented laborers. There was criticism of them um, because sure. of the undocumented. And so they were trying to clear that up. Right. Well, but in any case, um, no. Um, Tibbetts' younger brother put her initials on their football jerseys for his team. Mm. Um, miles for, hashtag Miles for Molly was started um, by runners that want to highlight safety and harassment issues for female runners, yeah. which... I don't know about you, but if you've ever been screamed at, yelled at, catcalled on the side of the road yeah. when you're working out, it's or scary. Running, it's yeah, it is. We've talked about this happening. before, like a safety yeah. for running, because we both yeah. used to run frequently. So they started if not long distances. In my case, they started that hashtag to kind of yeah. highlight that and to like really make people aware of that issue. Um, and then the Molly movement was also started by her friends to encourage kindness on social media. Mm. which is kind of cool that they're like trying to make something positive, yeah. some small measure of positivity out of this. But in any case, the trial, um, Riviera was scheduled to be sentenced to life without parole on July 15th. But obviously because of this new information, they presented a motion for a new trial. So I remember when that came out and I think I texted you because I had not paid a lot of attention to this case other than when she went missing and they got her Fitbit data, they arrested this guy, this guy was convicted. So then when I heard, and obviously I had heard that like his whole part of his defense was like, somebody else made me do this. So when I heard that like two people actually came forward with this, I texted you and I was like, holy crap, we gotta talk about this. Like what if this is real? Now listening to what you've told me about his prior statements, it just, there's, It's hard it, to kind of reconcile those things. I yeah, I wouldn't. I I would. It's my understanding from reading some a few articles about this case. The judge was really skeptical about the reasoning and the evidence provided behind the motion to present a new trial to get him a new trial. He said that he would issue a written decision right. quote as quickly as he can, and that was July twenty eighth. No sentencing date has been set yet. But the trial to present the motion for new hearing was filed with accusations from a whole bunch of people that were like trying to connect drug trafficking, sex trafficking, cartels, criminal underground activities, and all this kind of stuff. And I guess the judge seemed super skeptical mm-hmm. of all this kind of stuff. And it just really looked like it was not going to present the opportunity for a new trial for this. But you have the update? Go. I do. Yeah. So on August 2nd, this article came out in the Des Moines Register or August 3rd, um, a judge has rejected a motion to retry Christian Bahena Rivera in the death of Molly Tibbetts, clearing the path for him to be sentenced in the 2018 murder. So after so a, a new trial hasn't been scheduled yet for the sentencing. He just ruled on the motion for a new trial. Correct. correct? So he's, he's okay. not getting a new trial for his guilt or innocence. 
But they um, haven't reset the date for sentencing, probably correct. because of the new Delta variant and all the craziness with COVID right now. Yeah, <laughs> so this article says that um, in July, his attorneys asked that he be granted a new trial, saying new evidence pointed to new possible suspects. And at a lengthy hearing on July 27th, they argued that Tibbetts' death might have been connected to another woman's alleged self-sex trafficking in a neighboring county, as well as the May 2021 disappearance of 11-year-old Xavier Harrelson of Montezuma. So I did remember the sex trafficking story, and that's kind of what gave it, it some credibility. It was bizarre, though. Like, their yeah. whole linkage and all the stuff they were trying to present to prove that it was a yeah. reason for him to get a new trial was so convoluted and so bonkers and so crazy and so many. It was like they were throwing a yeah. whole vat of spaghetti noodles against the wall, just Which, hoping one of them would stick. That's what you do, right? Like, at that point. So this article Yeah, but it gets to a point where it's too much, and it's like, this is just not credible. You've right. given too much information. It sounds too sketchy. And that's um, what happened. So this article continues and says the two new witnesses who each claimed a man named Gavin Jones had confessed to them that he'd been the killer came forward during the trial and prosecutors informed the defense and offered to delay the trial to investigate. Although the two sides disagree on exactly what information was conveyed, a fact that, quote, obfuscates the court's analysis, quote, the judge wrote that the defense clearly knew enough to make the informed decision not to pause the trial to seek new witnesses that... Um, would have significantly contradicted the, t the testimony. So they actually came forward during the actual trial. Both the prosecution and the defense talked about it, and the defense decided not to pause yeah. the trial. So then they, after he was convicted, then they come forward with this and say, no, no, no. So apparently that I didn't yeah. know that either. You have to take the opportunity when it's presented. If you choose not to take it in a timely fashion at the time of the trial, then that's your own fault, and you are the one that have to deal with the penalty related to that. Yeah. So his attorney- You can't just also, hold it and wait. Oh, sorry. You can't just yeah. hold it indefinitely and wait. Yeah. So his attorneys had also argued that prosecutors failed to turn over a favorable, favorable evidence in the form of a 2018 investigation into a man accused of sex trafficking in nearby Mahaska County. Um, they were claiming this is a Brady violation, um, that basically if prosecutors have any, what is it, like- evidence favoring the defense that they yeah. have to they have they to provide have to it to the defense it. or whatever yeah. um did the judge rule that was not the case that it wasn't a violation he said that the prosecutors had not provided evidence about the Mahaska County investigation to the defense and that such information might have bolstered the Hina's case, but that it wasn't a Brady violation because the evidence in question must be material to the question right. of guilt. And I think... And that there's no reason to believe it would have changed the case's yes. outcome. I think also, like, you got to exclude evidence that you could reasonably find on your own, too, I believe. Like, mm. if it's something that, like, is readily available but just you didn't yeah. see it because you weren't looking for it kind of a thing is like, like yeah. that's not an excuse. No. Yeah. Um, so this article does say that he has a new sentencing date of August 30th where he faces a mandatory sentence of life without parole. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a lot of evidence in this case that we are not privy to. Right. Probably some DNA evidence. I would imagine that they did a rape kit on Miss Tibbetts. It's just weird that you didn't he that we didn't hear about that because that's usually something a a, a a note that gets you know like a, a yeah. But it could also be something that her family wanted to maintain as somewhat private. Sure, because this is their their baby girl. But why would that be that? Why would that be presented at publicly in some cases but not others? Like I don't know. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a certain degree of control and sensitivity with that kind of stuff now, given the whole function of the Me Too movement mm -hmm. 
Like, why should she be victimized again and again and again? Because people want to hear all the grisly details. Right. I mean... So keep it sealed in the court documents, and that's who needs to know. We don't need... The court of public opinion doesn't need to know that. The only people that need to know that are the jury who's deciding this case. We don't need to know it, but the whole reason we put on this podcast every week is because we find it fascinating, those details. Yeah, but I can understand the reason behind holding that information back, and for a greater degree of understanding for the victims that don't right. need to be victimized again and again. I can understand that. And I think we should move towards something that is closer to that. I don't think the public and the media needs to expose every freaking little detail of every single crime. It's disgusting. We don't need that information. Yeah, I mean, we don't. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I, I have no problem with, with keeping some of that evidence private. I mean, it's like people get so excited about little sexual elements of it. It's just gross. It just becomes that so, is true. Yeah, it's like it's a circus. It, it, it right is. Now. It can be. But at the same time, like you could make the argument that that's what we're doing with our show, even though we try to be bes- yeah, but, respectful. But like the whole notion of the po- popularity of true crime. That's what it is. Yeah, but there's a difference between sensationalizing gory details yeah. and just covering the legal aspects or true. Like just the facts That's true. without sensationalizing the grit. That's true. You yeah. know? So, so I try to be sensitive towards that. Let's talk while, while it's already been addressed. Let's kind of rehash some of the steps you can take when you're running by yourself. So they recommend one, that, never run with headphones. Yeah, they recommend you don't Period. wear headphones because it's distracting. You you can't pay attention to your surroundings, which I violate that rule all the time. I can't run without music. I just can't. So I I mean I don't really run anymore, but when I do, I use yeah. I I have headphones in. I mean I just do. And she was babysitting two dogs. Why didn't she take the non-epileptic one with her? Well, like, we don't know what kind of dog it was. With a, your odds of being kidnapped with a dog are much less than if you're out there by yourself. So that Take a dog if you can. Yeah, like, but she, number, we don't number, know what kind of dogs three, they were. Like, don't run alone. If it's like a chihuahua, the chihuahua can't go six miles. You know what I mean? Yeah, but never uh, running alone is a really, really risky prospect, mm-hmm. especially in an area that's less densely populated. And, like, and the chances of something happening, whether it be an injury and you fall down and no one's there to help right. you, are much greater if you're and running by yourself. To be clear, we're not saying any of this is molly's fault or any runner's fault when they get attacked it's the person who is attacking no. them that is at fault but there are ways to kind of look out for yourself, yourself and yeah. and things like that and the truth of the matter is it's really scary it sucks that we have to be aware like that but to run as a woman yeah. outside i mean it's just really scary you know because you don't want to run in the morning because it's still dark you don't want to run in, in it like sunset because it's still dark for that same reason. You don't want to get hit by a car, but then you can't run in the middle of the day. Yeah. When it's July in Iowa, Alabama, Illinois. You know what I mean? So and she lived in an area where I don't think it was densely it was densely populated enough for her to run in an area that was densely populated. I mean, she wanted to run six right. miles. Like the whole town was probably like a mile. She yeah. had to just run back and forth across the town, which could be lame. So I get yeah. it. But at the same time, like, don't run with your headphones on if you can avoid it. Like, find a running buddy if you can. Like, there's just, I don't want to blame her because she just, you know, it's not her fault. Mm-hmm. And no. it sucks that women have to be, you know, aware of everything because of the risks towards us. Yeah. But it's not even just women nowadays. Stuff like this happens to men, too. There's just a lot of freaking sickos out there. Yeah. Yeah. So look out for yourself. And, I mean... 
I always took Layla when I was running. Dahlia yeah. is a sucky runner. She can't run. It's like I'm dragging her the second half of the run. But Layla was a great runner, and she was protective. Yeah. Um, is afraid of I everything. I was Yeah. So I never felt concerned when I was running with her. But, I mean, it's just it's, it's a thing you always have to think about, and it sucks. I always stuck to areas where I knew there were going to be other people. I always, always, yeah. always, I never ran by myself and I had a yeah. taser, so I was not messing around. I would mm -hmm. run with my taser and I had a whistle and like I had 10 different things to, and I would always, I'd have my taser yeah, I remember that. on a wrist strap on one hand and I had my, I had this key thing, it was a little cat with pokey eyes and I would have my fingers through the, that on the other side and then yeah. I'd have Doopy's leash attached to my fanny yeah. pack. Um, with my phone in my fanny pack. So, like, I was always, like, super paranoid about that kind of stuff. It just sucks that we have to think about that. But, like, that's the way the world is. Yeah. And it's the worst. Yeah. Poor Molly. She was, yeah. she had so much promise. She was such a cute girl. Like, it just sucks. Any way you look at it, it sucks. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, unless you have anything else to add, um, we will keep you guys posted on what happens with this trial. But currently, the sentencing guidelines are life without parole for a first-degree right. murder. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of deliberation. It sounds like that's just what it's going to be. It's just going to be a formality that yeah. he goes in to be sentenced. And I mean, I think there would be life perhaps be some discussion about whether parole might be an option after 50 years or whatever. But I don't think mm -hmm. in this sort of a circumstance that that's going to come into play. But you never know. Right. You never freaking know. There, you know, there may be something, too, if, with his um, undocumented status, if maybe they'll do a parole and then deport. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think given that he came over here illegally by a coyote, he could do the same thing again. I don't see them doing that as a viable option. Right. Because there's too yeah. much risk that he could come back and reviolate. So anyway. That's true. Um, anyway, let's go ahead and wrap that up. We'll provide the updates for that as soon as they come in at the end of August. We'll do a little update on that. But um, social media, what do we got? I know we dropped Twitter. Uh, now we're just yeah. Instagram. We're just Instagram only. We, I wasn't very good at the Twitter, and we just weren't having the interaction that we're getting on Instagram. That's where everybody's kind of focusing now. So, um, so yeah, our Instagram is at the BFD podcast. Um, so we post pictures and and resources and I've been good all that lately. good stuff there. I posted hella pictures last week. I saw that. I did like, a dump. Like, catch it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, them all in there. Um, yeah. yeah, I just I don't know. I feel like Instagram is a little bit more friendly towards the it type is. of medium we're using. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, and because Twitter has a word limit, like it's hard to discuss hardcore legal issues if there's a, mm -hmm. a short shortened word limit like that. So. It mm -hmm. just seems that Instagram is better for the purposes that we need it for. Yeah. So, and please, you know, if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions, send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. You could slide into our DMs. Like, we're happy with that, too. If you've got corrections, if you've heard some other information on this that we're not privy to, share it with us. We'll blast it. We'll give you credit for it. We're happy to provide that as well. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real. And always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.